0: This is the InFocus podcast from The Hindu. Hello and welcome to the InFocus podcast. I'm Jee Sampath, your host for today's episode. The Sri Lankan government declared an economic emergency last week. The immediate trigger seems to have been rising food prices with reports of shortages of essential items such as milk powder, sugar and kerosene. President Gotabaya Rajapaksa has blamed hoarders for the rising prices. He has called in the army to manage the crisis by rationing the supply of essential goods and taking action against holders. He has also appointed a former army general as commissioner of essential services who will have the power to seize food stocks held by traders and retailers and regulate their prices. So, how did Sri Lanka end up with the food crisis? And what exactly is ailing the Sri Lankan economy? Is it just the Covid effect or is it something deeper? To find out more about the emergency in Sri Lanka and how it is likely to play out, we have with us Meera Srinivasan, the Hindu's Sri Lanka correspondent. Meera, thank you so much for joining us.
1: Thank you, Sampath. My pleasure.
0: Meera, this crisis that is currently uh, being seen in Sri Lanka, is it just a food crisis or is it an economic crisis that Sri Lanka is facing?
1: Sure. Just to set the context, Sampath, I think uh, it'll be useful for listeners elsewhere Sri Lanka is currently, you know, experiencing a very bad fourth wave of uh, COVID-19 and experiencing high number of daily cases and fatalities. We're talking about 3,500 to 4,000 cases a day and nearly 200 deaths a day. And Sri Lanka, as we know, is a country of 21 million. So the test positivity rate is high and the government is preoccupied with responding to this um, spike. Its chief strategy has been to widen the vaccine uh, net, and that program is going on. Meanwhile, the economy has been under enormous strain uh, since last year. Actually, Sri Lanka has had, uh, you know, pretty dramatic ups and downs the last few years. If you remember, in 2019, April, we had the Easter Sunday um, attacks, terror attacks, and that Really um, cost uh, uh, you know very much in terms of tourism for the next few months, but somehow Sri Lanka sort of bounced back, and by the end of 2019, in November, they had foreign reserves, which is you know chiefly sort of influenced by tourism, uh, along with a couple of other contributors, and uh, Sri Lanka bounced back, and the foreign reserves you know went up to about 7.5 billion dollars at that time. However. 2020 saw you know the pandemic entering the country early on um, you know end of february march and then since then it has been an enormous strain because all the uh, you know sectors that contribute to foreign exchange have been brutally hit so that would be exports tea spices rubber etc garments and you know production has been hit therefore exports have come down and then worker remittances uh, you know, largely from West Asian countries where a lot of Sri Lankans, particularly women, work as domestic labor. So the remittances came down. So many of them were sacked and had to, you know, come back and have had very traumatic experiences. And the third factor being tourism, which is also another very crucial sector in terms of foreign exchange. With all these three so badly hit, Sri Lanka's foreign exchange uh, reserves have been under enormous pressure since last year. So, and that has continued. And in a way, Sri Lanka has a history of never defaulting on their external debt. So, they've maintained that position. At the same time, it's what, you know, some Sri Lankan economists have called hand-to-mouth sort of existence, you know, This swap facility comes, this loan comes, then they're able to meet a deadline. So it's been a lot of stress, economically speaking, for the national economy. And the other part, which is related to the ongoing, you know, food emergency, is to do with imports. Now, Sri Lanka, being an island nation, is heavily reliant on imports for several uh, essentials, you know, petroleum, wheat, uh, sugar, pulses, some amount of rice, and so on. So President Gotabhai Rajapaksa, one of his policy decisions early on was, you know, to um, sort of go in for import substitution. He wanted to boost domestic production, sort of uh, ban uh, import of uh, uh, non-essential goods like motor vehicles and, uh, you know, so on. And, uh, you know, just to preserve foreign reserves. So that's the context in which um, Sri Lanka has been for over a year now, nearly two years. And that said, this current wave of the pandemic sort of saw a steep increase in prices of essential commodities here. And that is sort of uh, attributed to hoarding by the government. But there's, I think, a lot of contributing factors to that. So uh, one, of course, is, uh, you know, simultaneously Sri Lanka uh, sort of migrated from uh, chemical fertiliser to organic fertilizer in a sort of very sudden and rapid way. So that is also impacting domestic production. And uh, with non-essential goods import being restricted, other importers have had to sort of diversify and get into essential commodity imports. And that at a time when the Sri Lankan rupee has been falling. And as we speak, it's, you know, around 200 to the US dollar. So they spend a lot of money importing these goods. And then when government tried to have price control, they sort of, you know, there was a lot of hoarding, reported hoarding. And uh, this is the logic that went behind all this. This only meant that for the people, it wasn't easy to access essential commodities or it was too expensive. And that is when the government decided to bring in emergency regulations. The president has the powers to do that. And... The emergency regulations are, you know, set to be uh, for the management of the distribution of essential services, which, as you mentioned, is now being held by this army person, former army general, uh, former army major general. But um, at the same time, it's also meant that people are not able to get the essential items that they want, for the prices that they were getting it earlier or in the quantities that they want to buy. So at the moment, there's no real food shortage according to the government because there is stock of essential commodities. But in the public uh, uh, mind, there is a fear that there could be a shortage. And that's really the background to this current crisis.
0: Right. Uh, That's a very, very very useful and informative uh, background, Mira. Now, you mentioned like four or five interesting points that locate uh, or trace back this crisis to problems of the economy, especially foreign exchange reserves. You spoke about tourism being hit. You spoke about exports uh, suffering, worker remittances going down. And of course, at the same time as exports are going down, imports uh, are a big factor in the Sri Lankan economy. economy as well so all these are contributing factors but one thing uh one of the factors you mentioned is very interesting you said uh, that the that the government wanted to quickly switch from chemical fertilizers uh to organic fertilizers and that's one of the reasons which have uh, contributed to food prices because of uh, a fall in production now uh, it's it's understandable that environmentally conscious government would want to make this switch but what exactly is the urgency to do it overnight? Why can't it be done uh, in a planned, uh, measured or a staggered way?
1: Actually, that's the question that a lot of farmers have been asking. They've been resisting the move because they found it very uh, dramatic and rapid. And, you know, uh, they cite uh, precedents in Europe in other parts of the world where this transition took decades, not, you know, one or two years. So farmers are asking the same question. But I think uh, the president has taken a very um, sort of emphatic position that he wants the country to shift immediately to organic uh, fertilizer. And uh, actually, we still don't know the real impact of this ban because it came in only a few months ago. And we will know only in the next harvest season if it's really impacting uh, production, uh, the way that farmers fear, but uh, some of uh, uh, you know some of the tea producers and paddy farmers are already saying that they anticipate at least a fifty percent drop in production. So that I think is also contributing this fear of a food security uh, question that could that's imminent.
0: Okay, so is, 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 is it possible that uh, this move is aimed at reducing imports? Is it the case that Sri Lanka imports uh, all of its chemical fertilizers and by substituting them with organic fertilizer, you cut down on the import bill?
1: Well, to an extent, uh, that has been part of the rationale the government has offered. But interestingly, uh, there were also announcements about you know importing organic fertilizer. So farmers are then questioning that sort of double standard uh so it's it's true that the import bill would have come down a little bit because of this ban on chemical fertilizer but it's unclear if it's uh, significant enough especially when they're still importing some components of organic fertilizer
0: okay coming to the uh, emergency itself uh, does the declaration of uh, emergency under the public security ordinance have any implications for democratic rights and the right to dissent or is it only about commodities and hoarding and uh, controlling prices?
1: So the official narrative and the statements put out by the government have uh, sort of underscored uh, the ambit of the emergency regulations and said it is to do specifically with the distribution of essential food items. At the same time, uh, you know, senior lawyers and constitutional law experts who have examined the regulations, uh, you know, vis-a-vis the, uh, you know, parent uh, law framework, legal framework, say that, uh, you know, this is essentially a state of emergency for all practical purposes, So it not only allows the government to take action on those who attempt to hoard food items in this scenario, but also gives them um, wide ranging powers to stifle dissent or uh, go after critics. So there is this fear, especially because these sort of emergency regulations are not new to Sri Lanka. They've been invoked uh, during the war several times. And I believe, you know, it came again into prominence after the 1983 anti-Tamil pogrom. So those, uh, you know, those years of emergency regulations have a lot of baggage, as a bureaucrat said, um, you know, about uh, dissidents being targeted, about uh, enforced uh, disappearances, killings uh, of journalists and activists. So there is a lot of fear and, uh, you know, this fear of repression, uh, especially the minorities associate uh, the current uh, government with you know, uh, stifling of uh, dissent. So there is that fearsome, but although so far there's been no instance of this law being used in this sort of recent uh, period to target anybody or to go after anybody.
0: Right. So the measures which have been taken by the government uh, uh, with the emergency and of course uh, allied measures to resolve the ongoing crisis, uh, do you think they will be effective? Are there uh, differences being seen on the ground? Are they they sort of having the effect intended by the government?
1: It's perhaps a little early to comment. So, um, uh, you know, people who go to the stores, you know, despite the lockdown, I think the public is allowed in many instances to go and shop for essentials. They say that still the racks are empty and, you know, there are reports of shortage reported in, you know, grocery stores and so on. The other thing is, uh, uh, you know, earlier on during the pandemic, you know, Sri Lanka managed the first wave remarkably well, sort of people compared Sri Lanka to uh, Kerala in terms of its public health sector uh, strength and, you know, the way they organized uh, essential services and so on. But now um, it seems to be uh, quite uh, chaotic in many areas, that's at least according to the reports that I'm getting. And it's too early to say if the current regulations have eased uh, the situation in terms of access and affordability. Uh, at the same time, uh, uh, you know, the government is very keen to go on with it. And yesterday, uh, a week after the regulations were promulgated, it uh, the government got parliamentary endorsement in terms of a vote. So it's clear that the government will go on uh, sort of implementing this.
0: Right. Uh, since... Food shortages and rising prices, as we know, they've they've really triggered uh, uh, huge protests and even regime changes in other countries uh, in in Africa, as we've seen uh, during the Arab Revolution and so on. So, is there likelihood uh, of any political cost coming to Rajapaksa regime as a result of this crisis and the way he's handling it, or is his constituency, his political constituency, firmly behind him?
1: i think increasingly there is a lot of skepticism and even disillusionment among Rajapaksa voters in fact uh, i was uh, reading up on the uh, fertilizer ban yesterday just for you know just to sort of jog my memory on how it came about and i came across this piece by a professor of uh, uh, agriculture who said he had voted for this government and Uh, you know, and he totally disagrees with the fertilizer ban. Similarly, there are a lot of farmer groups that are, you know, uh, known to have backed this regime in the last election, but are quite disillusioned and uh, critical of their policy choices at the moment. And uh, just a few weeks ago, teachers were on sort of a prolonged uh, strike, saying, uh, you know, their salary hasn't gone up in a while, and they demanded a salary hike so there have been instances and pockets of protest but uh, i must say that there hasn't been anything really big in terms of a culmination of different uh, you know sources of dissent so there have been uh, expressions of uh, resistance by different groups uh, significantly from some who back the regime so in that there could be a political cost but it also depends on how the government decides to respond to those uh, you know um critics So, if the government is able to convincingly respond to their grievances and their concerns at the moment, I think uh, it wouldn't be difficult for the regime to win back the sort of uh, support that it might have lost in the last uh, few months.
0: Right. So, you're saying there has been some disenchantment among his core uh, constituency, but not enough for it to gain any kind of political momentum at the moment.
1: Yes, and we don't have any election that is imminent. So politically speaking, everybody knows that this government has a few more years in power. So unless, uh, you know, sometimes dissent and uh, resistance, mobilizations uh, also sort of galvanize around uh, politically significant uh, moments. So I don't know if uh, that moment has come yet.
0: Right. Uh, Finally, uh, if we take a step back, uh, Sri Lanka is, of course, a very uh, important uh, country located strategically. So I was just wondering, are there any geopolitical ramifications for uh, uh, this economic crisis? Has India or China, for instance, or any other regional power offered to help, uh, either financially or otherwise? Uh, Is there anything brewing in the works?
1: Sure, that's uh, actually a very important question, Sampath. So China, from the beginning of last year, has been sort of the chief source of economic support for Sri Lanka. So in, um, you know, Chinese loans totaling 1 billion have been uh, extended to Sri Lanka. And then the People's Bank of China has also extended a currency swap of uh, 1.5 billion. So, There's a lot of support coming in from China and the vaccines too. Sinopharm is um, one of the main vaccines being administered in Sri Lanka. They say nearly 80% of the total vaccines has been coming in from China, which is also uh, chiefly commercially procured, but a small portion of that has also come as a gift. So in terms of India, it's interesting because last May, uh, President Godabhai Rajapaksa, Uh, spoke to PM Modi over the phone and one of the outcomes of that conversation was Sri Lanka asking India for, uh, you know, one billion currency swap, except India has yet to, um, uh, you know, indicate whether that will come or not and it's been over a year. The second thing that happened even before the pandemic is uh, Prime Minister Mahindra Rajapaksa went to New Delhi um, on one of his early visits after assuming charges, Prime Minister and had sought a moratorium on the debt that Sri Lanka has to repay to India. So that also hasn't come through. So there are different factors for this. And they say that, you know, New Delhi's uh, uh, sort of delay in responding to these requests could be tied to Colombo's uh, cancellation of a port project that New Delhi was originally associated with. So there's a lot going on in terms of uh, Indo-Lanka negotiation. But... uh, What we know for a fact is that all the economic support or the significant chunk of economic support after the pandemic has come from China to Sri Lanka. And uh, uh, that's no secret. And, uh, you know, what's interesting, since you also spoke of this geopolitical dimension, is this concern over Chinese debt trap. because. Often, you know, we see in Indian media too that there is this Chinese debt trap trope that is commonly used with Sri Lanka. Now, it's true, uh, you know, there is a huge amount of uh, loan over $5 billion that that Sri Lanka owes China. But that still constitutes 10% or about 10% of the total external debt that Sri Lanka has. Actually, the biggest chunk is, uh, you know, sovereign bonds and uh, mostly originating from the U.S., So, it's interesting to see how, uh, you know, these loans are perceived outside. Uh, It's one thing to have a a perspective on, you know, the reliance on a particular country and uh, the sort of engagement with other partners. But uh, for all practical purposes, if you ask Colombo, they'll say, hey, you know, Beijing sent us the money when we needed it the most. So, that's where it stands.
0: Right. It's interesting you mention this because uh, on the one hand, we keep talking about containing China in the Indian Ocean and limiting its influence and we are investing in our Navy and the Quad and all that. But at the same time, when a critically important uh, neighbor is, uh, is is asking you for some kind of help, we don't seem to be very quick or at least as swift as, uh, as China has been in responding. Uh, that seems to be, uh, I mean, is it like a well thought out policy which is happening here or is it just a drift in policy?
1: I mean, from the science that we pick up, it seems that New Delhi is sure of its position. And, uh, uh, you know, the government of India has its own rationale for its uh, uh, decisions in terms of how to engage with Sri Lanka because, you know, other areas of engagement is pretty strong and there's a lot of exchange, a lot of visits, uh, a lot of collaboration culturally uh, in terms of Buddhist ties and so on. But on this aspect of economic projects, that India is part of and the economic assistance that Colombo has sought from Delhi, there seems to be some concern on both sides. Uh, and that's something the two countries will have to sort out if uh, relations have to improve.
0: Thank you so much, Meera, for sharing your insights and comments on what's happening in Sri Lanka right now. It's an interesting time and hopefully we'll get back to this in some time in the near future. Thank you so much.
1: Thank you, Sampath.